Well, it'd be really helpful to have a Bible there handy. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, as we look at Luke chapter 24, there's also an outline on the back of the news, and there's some translation points there in Dinka and Korean, if that's of assistance to you. But right now, let's pray and ask for the ultimate assistance. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the extraordinary good news that we celebrate today, in fact, that we can celebrate every day. We pray that as we come to your word right now, as we recount the extraordinary encounter between the risen Lord Jesus and his friends, that the reality of the resurrection might take a grip on our lives the knowledge that our, certain, our future is certain, that that might really transform our today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here at St. Bart's, as we work in a team and we try to be really effective and efficient in the way that we do things, one of my absolute favourite automation systems... See, it's possible to have a favourite automation system, okay? That's already a big surprise for you today. But one of my favourite automation systems is called If This, Then That. Now, there's some people who will know it will go, yes, it is amazing. But for the rest of you, I'll explain. It's a very simple premise. Basically, how the system works is that if this particular thing happens, then it automatically triggers an action to follow. If this, then that. Okay, so I'll give you a couple of examples. If a form is submitted for prayer, then it automatically sends a message to a prayer group so that they can get started praying immediately. If someone were to register for an event or a course, maybe like Alpha, then it would automatically alert the person who's responsible for that course so that they can get in contact with the person and make sure that they feel welcome. So if this, then that. Isn't that brilliant? Amazing. Now, I'm pretty sure that's not what you expected, the good news to hear this day as you came along to St. Bart's. But it turns out that if you are a follower of Jesus, you get bundled up in the most incredible if this, then that, the world has ever or will ever know. That if Jesus rose from the dead, then that means as a consequence that those who trust in him will rise too. If this, then that. That's your future. That's your trajectory. Not because you're going to muster up your own resurrection, good luck with that, but because Jesus has already been raised physically from the dead, then it's a guarantee, it's a preview, it's the first fruit of the physical future which awaits you and indeed a renewed and redeemed creation. Now, some people in the early church, especially in Corinth, they really struggled with this idea. It seems that some of their teachers at the time were suggesting that there would be no physical resurrection for believers, no physical resurrection awaited, that there'd be no physical resurrection of the dead because that just seemed too outlandish. But Paul, you might recall Paul, who was transformed after his own encounter with the risen Lord Jesus, well, he wrote to the Corinthians in order to try and set them straight about this, and really, we hear a great summary in one spot with the words, if it is, Christ, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, 
That's what they were preaching. That's what they believed. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul's saying these two things go hand in hand. You think that death being overturned is unimaginable. But I'm telling you that if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, which you do, it's unimaginable to believe anything else then that resurrection also awaits us. So Paul, in effect, is saying, those who believe in Jesus are resurrection people. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're here today, you are a resurrection person. If Jesus was raised, you have a future that is certain, unimaginably good and personal. That's the certain hope of the future that you have, which means that no part of your present should be left untouched. That because this past event has changed the trajectory of your future, it should transform every part of our today. We are resurrection people. It is because Jesus has been raised from the dead with the certainty of the future that awaits us that today we can have a peace purpose and power. First, because of Jesus' resurrection, we have peace. Would you look with me at verse 36 of chapter 24? While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. So here are all the disciples, except for Judas, obviously, okay, he's not there. So here are all the disciples, they are gathered in one spot and they are discussing reports that they have heard from people that day that Jesus has been raised from the dead. There's in fact been two reports of encounters with the resurrected Jesus so far in Luke chapter 24 on the same day, one in the morning, one in the middle of the day. Uh, the women, so the women had gone to the tomb on the Sunday, not to hope but to grieve, they found the tomb empty, encountered the risen Jesus, told the 11 disciples, but the women were not believed because the disciples thought it sounded like nonsense. Okay, that's the first encounter. The second encounter of the day was with two of the disciples this time who were on the way to Emmaus, which is not far from Jerusalem, when they encountered Jesus along the road but didn't actually recognise him at first only for the penny to finally drop when Jesus shared a meal with them later on. So they're the two encounters so far. So can you imagine? So here you are, your master, your Lord, has been arrested, tried, crucified, died and buried. You are in a thick of unimaginable grief. Your mind is foggy. You are confused. You feel this great depth of despair bubbling up and spilling over of what has just happened. And now, into that mix, come two credible reports from people you know and trust, two credible reports that they have encountered Jesus. And they are absolutely convinced it's true, that the Lord has risen, that Jesus is alive. You can imagine that. I think your mind... We'd be saying, no, I can't even begin to understand how this is within the realms of possibility. 
Your heart would be saying, no, I'm too scared to even begin to hope and risk being heartbroken again. But then into that very moment, Jesus appears among you and says, peace be with you. So confronted with this uh, reality of, of his presence, their hearts and their mind would have had to try and catch up. Their hearts and their minds would have been trying to reconcile what they think is true and what they're seeing before their very eyes. They think, oh, we must be seeing a ghost. Of course, they're startled and frightened. No one is expecting this. That phrase, peace be with you, whilst it was a really ordinary greeting of the day, people would use that, like we might say hello when we walk in a room, there is nothing ordinary about it today. You know, if I was Jesus and I had just been raised from uh, the dead, I think I'd be really tempted to hide in the corner of the room and just at the right moment jump out and say, huzzah! <laughs> but he just says, peace be with you. You know, just a few moments earlier, they're in despair. How could this be true? How could they have peace? Because the news that Jesus is alive, is present, is the ultimate source of peace. Don't miss that connection. It's because Jesus is alive that he can honestly and authentically say, peace be with you. So verse 38, he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Saying, this is not anyone else. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. So I want you to know how Jesus is making every effort to prove that he is physically alive. Remember, they're not confused that he was dead. They know he was dead. But Jesus wants them to examine and know, to really know that he is now alive. Don't let your heart cause you to doubt what is in front of you. Don't let your mind ignore the reality that you see. Look at my hands and my feet. Touch me and see. He even says, watch the fish that I eat. Now, if you're here today and you're sceptical that Jesus really rose from the dead, you're actually in really good company because guess what? The disciples were very sceptical at first as well. Please don't dismiss what you think is impossible without first examining the evidence. Now, you might have all sorts of questions about Christianity, about Jesus, about what he taught, what he did. But if the resurrection didn't happen, well, actually, you cannot bother. Just carry on. But if the resurrection did happen, it changes everything. Tim Keller puts it like this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. 
That's the question. But if you do believe that Jesus rose from the dead, please don't just tick it off as some sort of doctrinal measure of orthodoxy. But let the reality of the news that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is present, he promised to be with us until the end of the age, let that sink down and grip your hearts and lives. The news that Jesus is alive brings a comprehensive peace. Just think about it. Relationally, the disciples have peace as the normal trajectory of grief. You know, the normal trajectory of grief from denial to acceptance because Jesus is alive, that's interrupted. Their relationship with Jesus, which was severed by death, is restored by life. We don't follow a a dead Lord or leader with whom it's impossible to communicate and relate, but we follow and know the Lord who is alive, who is present and will never be taken away. Uh, Spiritually, spiritually the disciples have peace because not only did Jesus die on the cross to defeat sin and death, tearing down the barriers that separate us from God, but his resurrection proves him victorious and that even death could not hold him down. That means that we can have a peace with God that is not dependent upon anything we do or our past, present, future sin, but based on the victory that Jesus died and is now alive. Eternally, the disciples have peace because Jesus' resurrection guarantees their resurrection too. The worst thing that can happen to them, death, is no longer the last thing. But their future, their ultimate future, is God's new creation, in which every tear will be wiped away, every horror set right, every sorrow consoled, every justice done, in which sin, death and evil will be no more. Now, that shouldn't cause us to want to try and escape from this world. It shouldn't cause us to try to dismiss or diminish the pain right now. But in the knowledge that God is with us and with a certain hope of how the story ends, it means that we're released and empowered to face and enter into the pain of our world with an extraordinary freedom and confidence pointing to how things will be. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have peace. But we also have a new purpose. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So just prior to this, Luke tells us that Jesus told the disciples uh, how all the scriptures, and that's what's meant by the law, prophets and the Psalms, he told them how the scriptures have been pointing to him all along. That would have been a really great conversation to overhear. That would have been amazing. Uh, Jesus is showing the disciples it's always been part of God's plan. You might think, why didn't Jesus, you know, he spent quite a bit of time with the disciples. Why didn't he tell them before? Why didn't he tell them all of this earlier? Of course, because it wouldn't have made sense until they witnessed the resurrection. 
That's what the resurrection does. So you might recall Paul, formerly Saul. Saul knew the Scriptures inside out. But when he heard about Jesus, this so-called Messiah who had been crucified, Paul made it his life's work not only to quash the movement, but to punish its proponents. But what possibly changed for Paul? He encountered the resurrected Jesus. It's only then it made sense. It's only then that Paul changed his life track. That God's saving purposes would now shape Paul's life direction. It's why the disciples could go from uh, dispirited, despairing, disappointed and doubting to bold, triumphant proclamation, even when it would cost them their lives. It's amazing when we hear, where is the news to go? To all nations. Who's excluded from that? No one. I mean, if we just work backwards for a moment, so if you're sitting here or joining us online or you're listening later to this talk, the good news that we're celebrating today and the good news that you're hearing, well, we could trace it back. It has its origin to 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. So imagine what has happened in those 2,000 years to get that news to you today, to get it here today. Imagine the phenomenal symphony of events that God has orchestrated. Imagine the people on your front lines who you know and love, to whom the good news is making its way from the very first witnesses through those who have followed as recorded in God's word and now finally to you, and then on to them. If I was one of the disciples and I heard this vision of the news going to all nations that Jesus is casting, if I was there, I would be thinking, who is possibly going to do that? That seems like an impossible task. Way too big. But what does Jesus say to the disciples? Verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. Do you get the implication? As witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, there's a responsibility to bear witness to the news. So if you know the Lord, if you believe the testimony of his death and resurrection, then you are a witness too. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that it's going to look just like it did for the disciples, it does mean that if you're a resurrection person, your life's purpose is caught up in the mission of God. Since COVID, whenever that began, uh, since COVID and rolling lockdowns in different places at different times, there's been all sorts of research going on. But one really interesting body of research has been indicating and reflecting on a range of questions for people about their work and especially the meaning and the purpose of work. And it's really fascinating that in light of something which, of course, has been completely disruptive and destabilising, the research has found that people are more regularly than ever before asking the question, does what I do matter? Will it make a difference? Will it have a lasting effect? 
Well, the phenomenal news is that in light of Jesus' resurrection, when our future is bound up with His, our whole lives take on an eternal significance. Our certain hope transforms and pinches on the everyday. So all that we do can be directed and focused for God's lasting purposes. All of our work, all of our life, all of our time, all of our relationships can be directed for God's mission. So our life can take on ultimate meaning because it's bound up in the ultimate one who will last. Uh, Wherever you go, whatever the front line, you go with the peace of God because Jesus is alive. You go with the purpose of God because you're witness to Jesus' resurrection. You go with the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In many places, uh, Jesus promises the disciples that when he goes, that is when he returns to the Father, that they will be clothed with power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about here with them now. And he's saying, you must not go out to fulfill this mission until you have received the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they can't possibly do this in their own strength. We see that gift arrive more broadly on the day of Pentecost, of course, but the promise of the Holy Spirit today, we read the New Testament, is for all who have put their trust in Jesus. So that's what you receive when you become a resurrection person, when you put your trust in Jesus. If this, then that. The historical event of Jesus' resurrection changes everything. In uh, Marcus Zusak's book, The Book Thief, you may have read it, it's set amidst and in the thick of World War II. And in this book, there's the most incredible scene in which one of the characters, Max, seeks a way to express his resistance and rebellion against the horror unfolding around him, the stench of death and the evil which he is subjected to. And as he searches for an outlet for this, he takes a copy of Mein Kampf, of of Hitler's autobiographical manifesto. And then removing one page at a time, he paints over the words in white, he hangs each page to dry, and then he rebinds all those pages back into the book, eventually writing a new story over the pages that were. It's an amazing symbol of his attempt, symbolically, to defy the enemy, to overcome evil, to defeat death, and really to create hope. It's a beautiful image. It's a beautiful image of him resisting evil, of of trying to paint a new picture, to tell a new story of hope. But of course, it wasn't enough. It was just an aspiration, 
not a reality. Something more is needed. A comprehensive victory is needed. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection are for us and the world. Jesus' death and resurrection don't just paint over the sin, evil and brokenness of our world. Jesus' death and resurrection aren't just a futile shaking of our fists against death. No, Jesus' death and resurrection have taken a wrecking ball to sin and to death. The assumption that Jesus was just a man, the assumption that this life is all there is, the assumption that evil cannot be overcome, the assumption that the world is without hope, the assumption that God is remote, the assumption that death is the end, it's all shattered. In Jesus' resurrection, it's all shattered. And when you welcome Jesus into your life, not only will your future be bound up with his, that death will not be the end because he has conquered death, but he will come into your life with his peace, purpose and power and join you to his mission with a hope that is sure until the day that he returns and you see the risen Jesus face to face. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, we give you great thanks and praise for the extraordinary news of Jesus' death and resurrection. We thank you so much that we can have a hope that is sure, a hope that is unimaginably good, and a hope that is personal in an absolute certain and secure way because it's dependent upon Jesus' resurrection. Lord, I pray that for those who follow Jesus, who count themselves as the disciples of Jesus, as resurrection people, that we might be growing in our awe and wonder of your death and resurrection, that your resurrection might take a grip on every single aspect of our lives, wherever we go, whoever we're with, whenever and whatever circumstance we face. Lord, we thank you so much for the future we look forward to. May that impinge our every day. And Lord, for those here today who are just not sure, perhaps they're sceptical that Jesus rose from the dead. Perhaps they're just uncertain of, of, of claims of if he really existed. Perhaps they've never had a chance to look at it before. I just pray, Lord, that you would be at work in their hearts. I thank you that you have taken the initiative and you are seeking them out. I pray that they might be able to examine the evidence and delight in the truth that Jesus is risen from the dead. And so we pray in his name. Amen.